You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. In a well-known scene from the cinema, a man walks up to another man with a drawn knife intending to rob him. The only problem is the man he was intending to rob was a rugged outdoorsman from Australia. You might remember his name, Crocodile Dundee. And he looks at the man with his little knife, and he pulls out his big, long knife. He says to the man, that's not a knife, this is a knife. The intended robber turns and runs. And the implication of that scene from that movie is this. If you're about to be engaged in a conflict, make sure you have the right equipment. Amen? And this morning, we're going to continue our study through the book of Ephesians. And that same principle is at play in this text. Where the Lord is saying to His people, If you're going to be engaged in a conflict, and you are with your enemy, make sure you have the right Equipment. Make sure you are equipped for spiritual victory. So keeping that in mind, I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century city of Ephesus. We've made it to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to focus uh, our efforts this morning on verse uh, 16, uh, actually verse uh, 15, I'm sorry, verse 14, Uh, but I want to begin reading in verse 10 to kind of set the context for uh, this passage. So if you have found your place there, if you're physically able, I want to ask you this morning to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word which just as a reminder is truth with no mixture of error. And that phrase I say often uh, comes into play in the sermon today. The Bible is truth with no mixture of error. It says there in verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause in this moment 
because we understand something of our need for you. Lord, we believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So Lord, as we study your word, as we dig into this passage, I pray that you would move in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we'd understand, that we would be inclined to respond to what you say. Lord, have your way in our midst. Touch our hearts. Change our lives. Strengthen our church. As we are all engaged in very real warfare with an unseen enemy. Lord, change lives today by the power of your great name. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. This book that we call Ephesians divides evenly into two major sections. The first section, chapters 1 through 3, describe our wealth in Christ, all the spiritual blessings that are ours in a relationship with God through Jesus. Jason Lowe Baxter makes that point. But then he says in chapters 4 through 6, we see a description of our walk with Christ, the way we ought to live in, in light of what Jesus has done in and for us. So the first half of the book deals with our wealth in Christ. The second part of the book deals with our walk with Christ. But some say that the last section is such a major section or such emphasis in this section that we should add a third W. The book of Ephesians is about our wealth in Christ, our walk with Christ, and our warfare on behalf of Christ. And this passage focuses us on the, the reality of spiritual warfare with an enemy named Satan and his demons who is bent on destroying our lives. We've talked about the unseen enemy the past few weeks together. We've talked about the, 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 the warfare that we are engaged in. Listen to me, like it or not. It's real. Satan is real. He wants to destroy our lives. We must be ready for this conflict. And if we're going to be ready for this conflict, if we're going to win spiritual battles, then we need the right equipment. And that's the point that Paul is making here. He says there in verse 10, that you need to be strong in the Lord. If you're going to win spiritual battles, you need God's strength. And then he says you need to be equipped, verse 11, with the whole armor of God. He says it again in verse 13. Take up the, the whole armor of God. And then in verse 14, he begins to explain the armor of God or, or help us to understand the different pieces of the armor of God. Growing up in a small church, our Sunday school teacher, Ms. Pitts, would just go up with the kids. So we'd go from first and second grade to third and fourth grade, she'd move with us. We'd go from third and fourth grade to fifth grade, she'd move with us. So I had Ms. Pitts as a Sunday school teacher for years. And I remember her vividly standing there behind the podium Sunday after Sunday telling us that every morning she would get up and she would pray on the armor of God. 
Remember that as a little kid, her saying that. that this is the passage that she is referring to. Now this armor, the armor of God, is simply a metaphor that describes the spiritual resources that are available to us through Christ. There's some defensive armor. Belt of truth. We're going to talk about that this morning. The breastplate of righteousness. Shoes of readiness. A shield of faith. A helmet of salvation. And there, there's some, some offensive weaponry mentioned here too. Namely, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the weapon of prayer by which we win spiritual battles. So we're going to we're going to study this armor together. Now my original intention was in this sermon this morning to cover all of the de- defensive armament. I was going to talk about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of, res- shoes of readiness, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. But we're only going to get to one this morning. As I study and there's so much information, I say, well, I better just, I just better just tackle the belt of truth this morning. So we're going to, we're going to take, I mean, we may speed up a little bit next time we're together, but, but this morning we're going to talk about the, the belt of truth there in four, uh, verse 14 where Paul writes, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And what he goes on to list, and when he speaks of the spiritual warfare, are seven essentials for spiritual battles. We're going to deal with one today. You ready? There in your notes, the belt of truth. Now this metaphor, a belt as a piece of of the, the outfit that a soldier would wear is meant to communicate or convey several realities. I want to walk you through those realities through the remainder of this sermon. First of all, this metaphor conveys preparation for battle. Preparation for battle. Now, the, the English word belt there is a word that's not in the original Greek language. The original Greek language is an idiom that literally means gird up your loins. Now, I used a belt to do that, but that's what it means, gird up your loins. And it speaks of a soldier with a tunic that is preparing to go into battle. They would want to tie their tunic up to to make sure that their movement was not restricted so they could move in the battle and, and, and fight and uh, encounter the enemy. So before a soldier would engage in conflict, they would pull up their tunic and gather their garments and they would tie a belt around and keep everything together so they were able to fight. Now, remember, Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome. And the Bible tells us that he was under Roman guard. He was, he was guarded by Roman soldiers. And so I just kind of imagine that Paul's sitting there writing this letter and he's looking at some Roman soldiers. And he's looking at how they're dressed, what they have on, and he begins to think about the spiritual realities of, of warfare. And he begins to kind of look at what they have and and, and ties it into this ongoing metaphor. And he talks about the belt. The belt holds everything together. When, when the, the, the Roman soldier would gather their garments and put the belt on to hold everything together, that was their way of saying, I am ready for battle. In fact, the, the phrase to gird up the loins means to cause oneself 
to be in a state of readiness. The Greek scholars Lo and Ida tell us that. It means to, to get ready, to prepare oneself. So to have the belt of truth on means this for you and for me. It means that we are ready for the battle. We're not just kind of skipping through life blissfully unaware of the warfare. We know that spiritual warfare is real. We know that Satan is real. We know that demons are real. We know that Satan is a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. We know that he, the thief, comes to steal and kill and destroy. So every day we want to make sure that we are, we are cinched up by truth. We have the belt of truth on. We are ready for the battle. And that means... If you don't have truth as a foundational reality in your life, you're not ready for battle. You've got to put on the belt. The belt of truth. It speaks of preparation for battle. But not only does the belt of truth speak of preparation for battle, it speaks of the priority of truth. It helps us to be reminded that truth is a big Deal. That truth is of utmost importance. Look, look at what it says there in verse 14. Stand therefore. Stand when it comes to being assaulted by the enemy. Don't, don't flee from the enemy. Don't, don't fall and, and, and be destroyed. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Having girded your loins with truth. Truth is, again, of utmost importance. And here's what I want you to walk away with this morning as we think about truth. Absolute truth is found in the Word of God. Absolute truth is found in the Word of God. And you know where I get that from? I get that from Jesus Christ Himself. In John chapter 17, 17, Jesus said, speaking of his disciples, sanctify them, set them apart, change them by truth. And then he says, your word is truth. Jesus helps us to understand that the word of God is truth. It is absolute truth and is to be encountered with that perspective. Now, there are three major views concerning truth in the philosophical realm. One view is called the pragmatic view of truth. The pragmatic view of truth. And this is, this is a truth that's relative to a specific situation. So in other words, what may be true in one situation, in one place, at one time may not be true in another situation, at another place, at another time. The pragmatic view of truth says there's no, there's no ultimate authority for truth. It's whatever works in a particular situation. And if it works in a particular situation, well, that's truth in that situation. Of course, there are lots of issues with that and, and a, a, lot of, a lot of dangerous roads people can go down with the view of pragmatic truth. But that's how a lot of people live their lives. They're not thinking of ultimate authority establishing truth for them. They're simply saying, what works for me in this situation? That's truth for me. Another view of truth is called the coherence view of truth. The coherence view of truth says, 
I believe certain things, and as long as it lines up with my values and my beliefs at the time, then that thing is true for me. You hear this in our society. You hear people speaking of your truth and my truth. Like, your truth is different than my truth. And as long as your truth lines up with your sets of values and beliefs, and my truth lines up with my sets of values and beliefs, then, then we can both say we have the truth, even though we believe two very different things. Again, truth is relative to the person. And as long as it's coherent, as long as it makes sense, then that's truth for that person. Again, a very dangerous view. But there's a third view of truth called the correspondence view. The correspondence view of truth says that that something is true insofar as it lines up with reality. That it lines up with what uh, actually is fact. So for example, you might say, well my truth is 2 plus 2 equals 5. And you would be absolutely wrong. Because that doesn't line up with the facts. Correspondence says 2 plus 2 is 4 all day, every day, right? That's the correspondence view of truth. So for someone to to understand and discover truth, they need to know what reality is. So that what they believe lines up with what is real, what is actually fact. And guess what? God has spoken to us in His Word so that we have absolute reality from the Creator Himself. And if we hold to the correspondence view of truth, we're going to say, does what I hold to be true, what I believe... Am I establishing my values and my thoughts and my ideas by this outside objective version or communication of truth from God himself? Does what I believe line up with what God says? Absolute truth. And if it does, what I believe is truth. Correspondence, the correspondence view of truth is the only view of truth that does not violate the law of logic called the law of non-contradiction. So, for example, you hear somebody say, well, you believe that Jesus is the way to heaven. That's your truth. And then they'll say, well, I believe that there are many ways to heaven, not just Jesus. That's my truth. So now you have two different truth claims. Listen to me, they can't both be right. Two plus two can't equal four and five at the same time. Only one corresponds with the facts. Two plus two equals four. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if that is true, if Jesus said that, if that is reality, then the view that there are many ways to God is not truth. It does not correspond to what God says. It does not correspond to absolute truth. But here's what you need to understand in this spiritual battle. 
In this spiritual battle, our culture dismisses absolute truth. In fact, I believe that's one of Satan's primary ploys to try to lead people away uh, away from the idea that there is truth that comes from God. And he wants people making up their own truth as they go along because then they can go any direction that their flesh leads them, any direction that Satan leads them. Our culture dismisses the idea of absolute truth. You might say it like this, the spirit of Pilate is alive and well. Do you remember Jesus came before Pilate, the Roman governor? And and Jesus said to him that he came to bear witness to the truth. And this powerful Roman governor looks at this, this Jewish man from his perspective probably seemed weak. He looked at Jesus and I've always imagined him saying this with a sneer. What is truth? You, you, you say you came to bear witness. What is truth? Can, can anyone know truth? And Jesus says, those who hear my voice, who respond to me, they're of the truth. There is absolute truth. But the spirit of Pilate is alive and well in our culture. So we, first of all, need to understand that truth is a big deal. And it is found in the absolute truth of God's word. Now let me tell you what truth does for you and for me. Truth saves. Truth saves. In fact, if you're in Ephesians, turn back a few chapters. Look in uh, chapter 1 with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, then when you heard the truth of the gospel, when you responded to the reality that Jesus died for your sins, Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus is the way to be forgiven and reconciled to God. When you heard that, you believed and were saved. And notice he calls the gospel here the word of truth. Truth saves. Ever look at me for a moment? This is why it's so, so important that we don't back away from the truth. Because people need to hear how they can be saved. So they can be called from death to life. Truth saves. Secondly, truth sanctifies. I quoted it already. John 17, 17, in the high priestly prayer of Christ, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Change them by the truth. And so that means that as we are exposed consistently to the word of God, God uses the truth of his word to transform us and make us more like Jesus. Truth saves and truth sanctifies. That's why we as Christians don't just put the Bible on the shelf and let it collect dust because we need to be changed. And the Bible is God's primary instrumentation to change us. Truth sanctifies. And then third, truth steadies us it steadies us it's like a spiritual ballast over in Ephesians chapter 4 the Bible says that that people are tossed to and fro with every wind and wave of doctrine people are falling for anything these days 
And truth steadies you so that you will not fall for the ploys of the enemy. You will not buy into the lies of the culture. Truth steadies. So, if truth is a priority, if the word of God is absolute truth, what does that mean for you and for me? Truth is a priority, but I believe this also calls for the pursuit of truth. The pursuit of truth. If the Bible is absolute truth, and we ought to want to know it better and internalize it more, our goal should be, first of all, to know the truth. To know the truth. And if you do not consistently have an intake of God's Word in your life, you are going to be left without the primary equipment you need to fight spiritual battles. Because you're fighting those battles with your own resources, your own ideas, and you need to have a belt on of truth. Those that do not know the Word of God are wide open to the attacks of the enemy who is so subtle and so nuanced and so effective at leading people astray. Our goal should be to know the truth. That's why I'm so passionate. I said over and over and over again, I'm so passionate about people having Bible reading plans, some kind of plan where you're reading through the Bible consistently. I, I read through the Bible uh, all the way through the Bible, once a year. I've been doing it now for, I think, 12, 13 years. And it's been instrumental in my life. But here's the deal. The Bible doesn't say you have to read it through every year. It may take you two years. It may take you a year and a half. It may take you three years. But here's the, the deal. You need to be consistently reading through God's Word. Because as you're reading through God's Word, you are being equipped with truth. You're putting on your belt. You're being equipped with absolute truth. Our goal should be to know the truth. That's why it's important we find a trustworthy church and we find a, a class of our peers and we're learning God's word together and discussing it and we come to, come to church and we hear the word of God taught and proclaimed. We need to grow in our knowledge of the truth. Be, listen, be very, very careful. If you have lost your teachability. By that I mean if you think you know everything there is to know. And no preacher's going to tell you anything. If your spiritual posture is. Cross my arms when I come to church. Be very careful. Because you and I are called to grow in our knowledge of what God's word says. It is vital. Our goal should be. To know the truth. There's a Puritan writer named William Gurnall. And I have his book on my desk. I've been using it for this series. It's called The Christian in Complete Armor. It's about that thick. And it's small print. A lot of information. But he, he used a, 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 an illustration there that really helped me related to Satan and his attacks on our lives. He says, sometimes Satan comes as a serpent. He's, he's, he's coming to deceive. 
He's coming to, to lead you astray. He's subtle. He's tricky. He's crafty. He's cunning. So how do you deal with Satan who slithers into your life to whisper in your ear and lead you away from what God says? How do you deal with it? Know your Bible. Know your Bible. That's how you deal with the crafty serpent. But not only should our goal be to know the truth, our goal should be to deploy the truth. To actually use truth in our day-to-day life. The way we think, the way we act, the way we respond, the things we believe, the things we hold on to, the things we share. We should deploy the truth in day-to-day life. Because William Gurnall said, sometimes Satan comes like a serpent, but sometimes he comes like a lion. And when he comes like a lion, his goal is to discourage you and scare you and to cause you to back away from what you know to be true. Satan is very effective. In today's time, maybe now more than ever, he's very effective at causing Christians to back away from what they know to be true. So when he comes as a serpent, you need to know your Bible. You need to know the Word. When he comes as a lion, you need to stand strong and deploy what you know. Now you say... Pastor Wade, what, is, what, is that, what does that look like? How do, you, how do you practically deploy the truth? Well, we talked about Satan's tactics in the last sermon. When Satan lies, we counter with truth. Satan loves to whisper in people's ears, Hey, do what you want to do. There are no consequences There are no repercussions. Do what you want to do. Pursue what you want to pursue. That'll bring you fulfillment and joy. Ignore what God says. Do what you want to do. And when he whispers those lies into our ears, we counter with truth. When Satan tempts us, and he's a tempter. The Bible calls him the tempter. He tempted Jesus. When Satan tempts us, we counter with truth. Matthew chapter 4, every time... Satan tempted Jesus and tried to to cause him to do something that would be sin against his father. Every time he put forth the the temptation, Jesus countered by quoting the Bible. And that's one of the reasons that you and I need to know the Bible. So that when Satan tempts us, we say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, I know my Bible. And that's not what I ought to do. That's not the direction I ought to go. No, Satan. That's not what the Word of God says. When Satan tempts, we counter with truth. When Satan accuses us, he tries to dredge up our past and he tries to make us miserable because we're weighed down with sin and guilt from things that Jesus has forgiven. The blood of Jesus has washed away our sin and yet we can't get past it because Satan keeps condemning us. Speak truth. Satan, I am adopted by the Father. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. I am a friend of God. 
You can't snatch me out of his hands. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Speak truth. When Satan comes against you with his accusations. But remember, he's a lion. He tries to scare us. He tries to roar. To get us to waver in what we know God's word says. So for example, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, we're living in those times now, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. He calls false teaching here demonic through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So, when demon-inspired false teachers seek to lead others astray, we counter with truth. We, we, we look at that teaching and we say, that doesn't line up with what God's Word says. I will not subscribe to those false ideas. You deploy the truth. When evil demonic worldviews and ideas infiltrate our culture, we counter with truth. Ephesians 4.15 says that we speak the truth in love, always in love. We care about people. We want God's best for their life. But we must speak the truth. And refuse to back away from what we know to be true. So when the culture says that your son, born as a biological male, could one day realize he is a woman in a man's body, and the culture says you should encourage your son in that moment to transition, you say no. That's not what the Bible says. Genesis 1.27 tells us that God is the one who assigns gender. And look at me, folks. God doesn't make mistakes. We stand on what the Bible says. When the culture says that human life is expendable if it becomes inconvenient, you say no. The Bible says in Psalm 139, 13 and 14 that every human life is knit together in the womb of the mother by God himself. Every human is fearfully and wonderfully made and therefore has intrinsic value and worth. That's what the Bible says. And if the culture says differently, we're going to go with what God says. When the culture says more money will satisfy you, you say no. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15 that a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. I'm not going to buy into the the lie and the trap of materialism. That's not where life is found. Christ is where life is found. That's what the Bible says. When the culture says that love is love and as long as you love someone, you should be able to marry or pursue a physical relationship with them. Anyone you want to, you say no. 
The Bible says in Genesis 2.24 that God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman. And intimacy is only to be practiced in that covenant relationship. Matthew 5.28 and Romans 1.18-27 and 1 Corinthians 6.11 and Hebrews 13.4 speak of lust and homosexuality and adultery and sex before marriage as sin. That's what the Bible says. And people say, well, love is love. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says God is love. And God made us, listen to me, and he cares about us. And because he's our designer, he knows what's best for our lives. And the reason that God calls sin, sin, the Bible points us to things that are, that are disobedience to God, is because God knows if you go that route, if you disobey him and, and pursue those sins, it will destroy your life. And God doesn't want your life to be destroyed. God loves you. He cares about you. He knows you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Oh, how he loves you. That's why he speaks truth into our lives. He he doesn't want you to walk away from his perfect design for you. So we hear that in our culture, we say, no. No, that's not what the Bible says. When the culture says it's all about you, you say, no, that's not what the Bible says. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. It's not about me, it's about you. So I'm going to find life when I align my life with you. It's, it's not about me. When the culture says it's okay to be dishonest, to get ahead. If you can fudge the numbers a little bit on your expense report. Lie about this or that, just to kind of get ahead and, and climb the ladder. You ought to do that. When you hear that in the culture, say, no. That's not what the Bible says. Exodus 20 verse 9 says, you shall not bear false witness. When the culture says it's okay to hold on to attitudes of prejudice and racism, because... That's just the way you were raised. You say, no. That's not what the Bible says. My Bible says that Jesus died for the sins of the world, 1 John 2, 2. That Jesus shed his blood for people from every tribe and tongue and, and ethnicity and skin color and language. And if Jesus died for others, I ought to love them too. Not hate them. You say, no, I will stand on the truth of the word of God. Now, unless you think I'm just trying to be confrontational this morning, by kind of, kind of raising to the surface some, some controversial issues in our culture, listen to me. All these issues deal with real people. Real people that God loves and for whom Jesus died. And, and we're not helping people if we back away from truth that will absolutely change their life. 
We must stand on the truth. Even when Satan comes like a lion. Even when there is a price to pay for standing on the truth. If we're going to win spiritual battles, we must gird ourselves with truth. And truth comes from the Word of God. When he comes as a serpent... To deceive you, you need to know the truth. When he comes as a lion to scare you, you must deploy the truth in battle. So the takeaway is this. We need to know the truth. Jesus said like this in in John chapter 8. He said, you will know the truth. Listen to me. And the truth will set you free. So many people in our culture have walked away from the truth and they think they're free, but they are bound up by sin and Satan. And judgment is coming. Destruction is coming. But when you embrace the truth of the Word of God, when you follow Jesus and walk in His ways, that's when you find life and freedom and joy and peace and meaning And purpose, the truth, will set you free. I'll close with this quote from R. Kent Hughes. He asked this question. How's the spiritual battle going? As an individual, how's it going for you? If you are having trouble, it may be that you need to tighten your belt To regird yourself with truth. We must fill ourselves with the truth of God's word and then consciously submit to it. Could it be this morning that you and I need to do some belt tightening? And we need to make sure that in the craziness of this current cultural setting that we are tethered, founded, on the truth that our belts are tight and ready for the battle. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.